Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Vikings, come out and play. Cousins throws, passes, caught for the win. Kyle Rudolph and the Vikings are moving on. You are now listening to the Believe in Vikings podcast with B Mac and Baker. This is Believe in Vikings with B Mac and Baker. I am your host, Dustin Baker, and I am the Vikings analyst and enthusiast on the show. And I am here with Bryant McKinney, who is the former Viking and Super Bowl champion. How you doing, big man? I'm doing pretty good, Dustin. Glad to be here. All right, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, the first thing before I forget, uh, I want to jump into before we get uh, predominantly into Viking stuff is. Our first episode, which is about three weeks ago now, um, you said almost verbatim that you were concerned about injuries heading into the season. And I think folks are always concerned about injuries, but you were especially concerned by it. And lo and behold, we saw a colossal amount of injuries to some of the big names and you know some of the, the regular players as well. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say you probably weren't surprised that that happened. I wasn't. And the reason why I say I'm not surprised is because they didn't have um, the normal amount of time far as many camps and things like that to get acclimated. And then uh, no preseason games. Um, like, you know, players never play a full preseason game, but you play like, especially the starters will play like a quarter, then they'll play up to the half, then they'll play like, you know, a little bit past half on the third game, not at all. But you're giving yourself build up you know, to, to get used to even being in the full game. And I feel like they weren't given that um, this season. And I just feel like with that and not your body, you know, going through a lot and kind of almost being shocked that you're kind of can be a little more um, susceptible to injury. So that was always on my mind and just not having them be able to really have a full training camp. Cause I mean, training camp does consist of preseason games and they didn't have any. Yeah. And I think, I think that people like myself, you know, fans, recognized that that was a possibility and then week one was iffy but this avalanche happened in week two where i mean just to your smartphone alert after alert i mean to your twitter notifications all over the place it was uh just one after another so and that even um happened to our team anthony barr um he's he's out for the year he has a a torn uh, pectoral muscle so um it's just brutal yeah um I kind of could see, you know, these different injuries taking place, though, and that's why I was just saying it's kind of hard to prepare for football. Even in the offseason, like, it's hard to get in football shape. Like, you have to play football to be in that, you know, that space. And um, they didn't have enough of football yet, so that's why I could see some people could probably get injured. Yeah, I think uh, if there were, there were advocates for a reduced preseason or no preseason at all, I think we probably won't have a zero-game preseason from here on out. I think we learned our lesson. Right. All right, so let's hop into the Vikings in just a second. Um, First, we're going to acknowledge our sponsor. Uh, The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all of the action at Bet Online. Uh, the Vikings this week in their own building are one-and-a-half-point underdogs. So if you believe in an about-face for your Minnesota Vikings and want to win some money on a uh, underdog spread, head on over to betonline.ag. <clears throat> From game spreads and totals uh, to the teams, to the players, and the coaching props, uh, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there is always the casino that is open that indeed never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and take full advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Getting into the Viking stuff, um, we'll go with our typical format, and we're going to go over the game last week. So I gave a disclaimer last week to all the listeners that Bryant and I connect throughout the week to make sure we're, we have a scheduled time to record this podcast, but we don't give each other feedback on the games. So anything that you guys will hear uh, will be the first time I'm hearing it. 
So it's a, quite obvious that that game against the Colts was horrendous um, and not the way that either one of us expected it. So before I get into any of my spiels, Bryant, I want to know your overall knee-jerk reaction to the Vikings losing at Indianapolis. Um, well, I told you somebody's going to have to come out 0-2. <laughs> um, <laughs> just wasn't, you know, pleased that it was us. Um, but I do think that the Vikings have to take time to kind of regroup and really kind of focus on getting a win. You know, you got to get, you know, like I say, I break things down in the quarters. I think a lot of teams might do too. So right now, if you win these next two, that puts you 2-2 two and two for this quarter of football. Hopefully they can come away with that um, and turn some things around. I feel like defense – she needs to pick some things up as well. But uh, hopefully we can get away with that, two and two at least. Yeah, the defense wasn't great or even good. And in a contrast to the week one where the offense showed some signs of life, right. the offense was putrid as well. Um, they couldn't get any. I mean, the first it was, it was like a cookie cutter of the Packer game. The first drive was good, only ended with a field goal, but we'll take it. And after that, any semblance of competence – it just wasn't there anymore. So in the, and then there was the safety again, and mm-hmm. it it was like a, a recurring dream or nightmare. Um, my reaction, I was pretty stunned. Um, it's not often we see a Zimmer team that is unprepared or unmotivated. It almost seemed at times. Um, so I was very stunned to see that. But on your point about turning it around and you know taking the season in quarters, that's an excellent point. Um, but I want to know. A lot of the the noise, the feedback from fans is they don't think that Vikings have the wherewithal or the talent they, to turn it around. They think they lost too many players, uh, whether it be on defense or um, Stefan Diggs. Do you think, based on what you know about the roster, um, can this be turned around? I feel like potentially. I've been on Viking teams where we started off slow, you know what I mean, and was definitely in the 0 and 2, probably worse than that at times, and then finished like 9 and 7. I think we might have started like, have we ever started 0 and 7? And then like went on a nine game streak. I don't know, but we started slow a few times, and then you kind of start picking up and gelling, you know, towards the middle of the season. So like being 0 and 2, I'm not really down and out yet, you know what I mean? But uh, you do want to start seeing some uh, results. I don't want to see the same um, two point, you know, situation. You know, going on two weeks in a row, it's like we didn't we didn't correct this last week. Like, you know, so I don't want to see the same mistakes. I don't really want to see any mistakes, but you want to make mistakes. Nobody's going to have a perfect game. But I don't want to see repeated mistakes because that means you, I feel like you didn't learn. Yeah, and, I'm, uh, I'm with you. you I'm with you yeah. there. Um, I don't – believe it or not, I don't have the stats pulled on an 0-7 start. I, I don't remember one, and I've been a fan since 1996. Um, but – in 2008, um, the Vikings started 0-2, and, and str- a strange coincidence, they played the Packers and the Colts, just like this mm. year, and they you guys lost both those games. The caveat there uh, was you were suspended, I believe. I wasn't there. Yeah, you weren't there, <laughs> yeah. so I don't <laughs> That's probably why they lost, right? Um, so, so I guess that's an interesting... Uh, question right there. So when you're suspended like that, how much contact do you have with the team? You know, you still have contact with the players, not really much with the team. So you okay. know you watch. I feel like Artis Hicks, he stepped in for me while I was, you know, gone. He's more of a guard. He felt more comfortable with a guard, but he had to step in for me while I was gone. Um, and I watched and he had the white friend need to go again. So he had like a, t- a tough person on his hands um, for that matchup too. And um there was the exact two teams, because I do recall. Um, but I don't know. Is there anybody that can come in and kind of help change things around? Because I, <laughs> <'cause> I <laughs> when I came off suspension, I came back in. I feel like we kind of got in a little groove a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's for that's for certain, because that was 2008, and uh, Traveris Jackson was, I think, going into it, the guy. And... I can't remember, I should know this, if he got hurt or if he was benched or both, but Gus Farratt took over for most of the season, and he had a pretty sweet streak of, actually, I think he won, you guys, under him, uh, won all of the games at the Metrodome, Um, but that season was turned around, and one of the talking points that I mentioned a few minutes ago was that some folks don't think that this team has the talent to be good, and 
I I just don't see. Maybe they don't have the talent to be a rubber stamp to the Super Bowl, but I'm convinced that the talent is there. It's just not jiving right now. I mean, yes, I agree with you in there. I feel like the talent is there. It just hasn't really connected um, yet. And like I always say, is it's kind of hard to really predict anything because, like I say, by injuries, you never know who can get injured um, each week and what role that'll play, whether it's somebody on your team or an opponent. So um, you really never know how the season can shape up. I feel like it's definitely too early to even say, well, I don't think this, you know, you can't cancel anybody or count anybody out. There's only two games, you know, you still got like 14 more. So you still have a long season. You got to remember football is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a long season. Yeah, that's the player perspective, and I think that's desperately needed because this this armchair quarterback or this couch fan thing, which, you know, rightfully so, a lot of us are, uh, pandemic or not, uh, it's this thirst for just blowing it all up, sending it all to hell, and rebuilding or, you know, intentionally losing to get a better draft pick. And I – that's not the way I was raised. It's, it's, that, I, I, it's I can't, too early. It's too early. It's, it's only second game. It's too early yeah. to talk about Blowing everything up for a better draft is too early. Like, if they win the next two games, everybody forget about how they start. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, I won't forget about those that have clamored for a tank job. But, yes, the, the general <laughs> public will think, oh, okay, uh, maybe maybe this is something that's real. Right. When a team is playing poorly like this, and make no mistake, the Vikings are playing poorly, is the onus to get it fixed an equal split of the coach and the players uh, from what you've observed. Is this more of a Zimmer thing? Is the, is it the players? I know you're probably going to say it's on both and that's fair, but is there something that can galvanize the team to say, you know, let's go out and actually, you know, look like a good football team. Uh, is it more of a coach thing or a player thing? To me, I must say the players, you know, you should want to have some type of pride, you know, about yourself anyway and not look bad and not put, you know, bad film out of yourself because that could potentially affect you, you know, if you can end up going somewhere else, if your contract's up, things like that. So players within themselves shouldn't have to really rely too much on a coach to help boost them up, like to get out there and play. Like this is your job and you want to put good film out of yourself. You don't want to like have the stuff circulating of you like playing poorly. Um, it'd be hard for you to, especially if you're like ready to get a new contract or potentially, you know, this your last year on your contract. So you want to kind of put out some good stuff. And uh, the coaches definitely can add, you know, add to it though. But I feel like a lot of it should be on the players. Okay, well that's good to know because a lot of the heat, um, rightfully so, is on the coaching staff, and that you know the buck stops with Zimmer. Um, but I've seen so many fire Zimmer. This guy always comes up with dumb already. Oh, gosh, yeah. It was pretty quiet for the summer. Um, I thought, you know, most folks, but we were coming off the steam of upsetting the Saints in the Superdome. Right. I think that the um, persistent pessimists um, were kind of like, okay, we'll go with Zimmer again. But with these two performances, and the problem with the performances is that we're not just, you know, losing by a field goal. It's We just look inept. So um, that's why some of the the pitchfork people are calling for you know Zimmer's head. Um, that brings me to another question. When we joked about zero and seven a few minutes ago, at what point, if this did not get better, at what point, whether it's zero and five, zero and six, or one and eight, or something like that, at what point would you think it'd be fair for fans to start looking towards the draft and, you know, a rebuilding process at what point in the season, not necessarily what a player give up, but what, when would it be reasonable to say, yeah, this thing's cooked? Um, like around Thanksgiving. Okay. That far. Okay. Depending on what, you know, the record is around Thanksgiving. I would look around then and be like, okay. <laughs> okay. If we're not I, making the playoffs, like, yeah. So, yeah, that that is quite a ways away in football terms. Um, I want to say that is about week eleven, maybe week twelve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess uh, if the if the Vikings, I mean, I think it's quite evident if they, you know, it's zero and seven, then I think there there like will definitely be changes. Then go ahead. I'm sorry. I feel like you can start out like on four, and it's all of a sudden I have a turnaround, I have like a nine game win streak. Like then you're like really back in the hunt. Yeah. So it's it's hard, and I've and I've 
I've been part of the Viking team that we've had like seven game win streaks. You oh, know yeah. what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it can turn around and you never know what clicks and all of a sudden like the chemistry, you know, with the, the team and everything and everybody's like on the same page. You just never know when that happens. So it's hard to kind of just say, especially in that first quarter, it's just hard to say like, uh, yeah, I just don't see anything, you know, going good for these first two games. It's the first yeah. two games. I think the problem here for the folks that are frustrated and flat out pissed is we have never under Zimmer, you know, six years, we have a six year sample size. We've never started out with two games back to back where it's crappy. And that's what it has been. So I think that's why people are impatient, especially, you know, you wait all off season and you speculate and you go through the draft. And as a fan, you're all excited and you think you have a pretty good team. And then it looks like the polar opposite. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just felt like it was hard to judge how good your team was with no preseason. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, we, we we undervalue that, I, I, and I'm included. When when we were entering this season and I heard about preseason games are canceled, I was like, oh, who cares? And that was selfish of me because I don't really care about preseason other than watching some of the guys that are fighting for the team. But I never put any stock in preseason performance. But that's selfish of me because you know I'm looking at the forward to week one. So I, for one, when I heard that there would be no preseason, I was like, oh, well. But it seems like it's having repercussions now that we maybe should have paid attention to a little bit more. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of was like, and I, even players were like, well, yeah, I don't mind preseason, but I, I always look at preseason one is to help, you know, you start out with 83 guys and it gets chopped down to 53, you know, at the end of preseason. So I always look at preseason as giving other guys opportunity who may not make the team to make a team somewhere else by putting out good game film. You have guys who, practice really well but when the lights come on they don't perform well i am the guy who may not be balling out of practice i'm doing okay but when the lights come on i i know it's game time it's time to perform so you have some people who are the opposite lights come on they get nervous and they're not performing but at practice they're like all-stars so that situation helps a lot of people one get you in real game situations so especially like the rookies they that gives them a little mock of what a game is going to feel like. You know what I'm saying? Right now, these rookies are going through it right now for the first time. So I don't mind it because of the fact that I know, you know, starters don't play the whole preseason. You play small little points and you don't play the fourth game at all. So, like, I really never minded too much either. And then plus, it gave you a chance to go against somebody different because I was tired of going against my own teammates every day from training camp. So it gave you a little excitement. You know what I mean? Sure. Okay. Yeah, no, I certainly do. Um, some other things on this particular game that we need to touch on before we move on to the Titans who come to U.S. Bank Stadium this Sunday is the very thing that both of you and I, that you and I had as our key to victory, <laughs> one of them, was time of possession. And the Vikings, again, only possessed the ball for 22 minutes. And that was four minutes better than the Packer game, but it certainly is not good at all. And for... Folks listening, I'm going to tell you that that is the number one problem with this team right now. Um, you can point to stuff like players not performing well or Kirk Cousins sucks. You can do all of that, and that's fair game, but the underlying problem is the time of possession. If you don't have the ball, you cannot score, and the fault of that is on both sides um, because the offense can't sustain a drive, and then the defense isn't you know getting off the field. But when you're that upside down in time of possession, um, you're not you're hardly ever going to win a football game when you only have the ball for about 20 minutes. What do you think, Bryant? No, it definitely is. That is hard. And um, time of possession is one of the things that used to be on the board. Um, we always try to see who control most of the time of possession because they kind of can dictate the game as long as they're scoring at least a touchdown or field goal after these long possessions. But if you barely have the ball, there's less opportunities for you. You know what I'm saying? And then if we have the ball a lot, you're able to wear down the opponent, opponent's defense um, if you're on offense. So keeping somebody's defense on the field wears them down. Defenses shouldn't have all these plays, um, you know, every week. Like, I feel like they're starting to have more plays than offense. Like, offense, I feel like we had at least 60 or better plays, and the defense, you know, be like, you know, like 40, 50 plays, but they're, they can't get off the field. Yes, and that is a – severe problem and it's and it's weird because that's what's what I tell you know 
some friends that I have and then folks that message me questions about the Vikings is that, that it's the number one indicator um, of a Vikings win in the making. So it's been a little misleading these first two games because both drives by the Vikings have looked good. And right. so when I'm telling people, you know, watch for the first drive, watch for the first quarter, you see a good drive and you're like, okay, all right, baby, yeah, we're going to do this thing. But then it falls off a cliff. So how you could follow along if you have ESPN app on your phone, just go to the team stats of the Vikings game and right there in real time, it updates the time of possession. And as soon as that thing starts to break apart in the wrong direction towards the opposition, it's just not Mike Zimmer football, and it's really not anybody's football, but especially not Mike Zimmer, who prides himself on defense and, you know, basically scoring just enough to win is his style. Um, Brian, I know that you were at the Dolphins and Bills game, a hell of a game this weekend, and so you didn't get to study the Vikings um, film, but is there anything that you perhaps saw by the, by the offensive line that was either good or bad? Um, see, I didn't really get a chance like studying, studying like that, but... Uh, did they give up any sacks? Uh, they, yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was flagrant or outlandish. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. it, kind of yeah they only gave up three. There was, a, okay. there was pressure, but, uh, I mean, no, it wasn't something crazy sacks, but. Right. I just feel like at this point, it's all about, um, you know, the team's executing and who's executing the best. You know what I mean? Uh, the adjustments, I feel like they start out good, um, you know, the first quarter and everything, but I just feel the other team is making better adjustments, you know what I mean, as far as on defense to kind of like start slowing us down. And I feel like that's happened two weeks in a row um, where they're making – their coaches are making better adjustments. And I don't really know what we're doing because when, when it comes to the second half, we're not – executing too much on the second half. No, it's the complete opposite. It's that first drive that looks top-notch, so to speak. And then, you know, for for a guy like me, you're sitting at home. I'd usually be at the game if it's uh, a Vikings home game, but I'm on my couch thinking, all right, this is going to be one of those games where they come out and do the Jekyll and Hyde thing, and they look great in the second half. And then these past two Sundays, it hasn't happened. Uh, one thing I wanted to circle back to on starting a season slow that you said has happened to you. I can't remember how bad it got for the Vikings, and I don't know if the Ravens ever got out to a nasty start. But w is it usually a, a win that turns it around, a series of wins, or is there like a moment in the locker room or what the heck can we expect to maybe turn this around? Well, I feel like it starts in the locker room. Like, guys have to really just be like, listen, we've been – because I feel like that that's conversation. You have conversation. Yes, they're on to – it's not the end of the world. It's still, like, a lot of season left. But that becomes a conversation at a certain point because the mood in the locker room and amongst the coaches when you're, like, on a losing streak is kind of like uh, – you kind of tips on, like, you're on eggshells. So you want to get that win. You want to have that feel good, you know what I mean? Maybe victory Monday. <laughs> but, like, you want to have that eventually. So it does take a win, and then you have to kind of build from there okay. to get a, a couple wins. It'll take a couple wins for them to start feeling good. Like, one win is not going to make them feel good and then lose the following week. It's like it has to be, like, like two or three wins, and then it's like, okay. Okay. You know, it, we're three and two. In that 2008 season, um, I think you got back in week five. I think they were two and mm -hmm. two at that point. And I want to say that the Vikings won five games or maybe six games after that 0 and 2 start and then ultimately made the playoffs and lost to Philadelphia. So there are parallels there, and especially the spooky Packers and Colts one. So. If you're out there looking for hope, which some of you have to be, I don't, I, otherwise I don't understand why you're a football fan, I think there is hope, but it's all going to hinge on the performance going forward. I've had, uh, in fact, I have a coworker who asked me, uh, you know, what have you seen from this team that gives you any indication that they're going to turn it around? And I say, nothing. There's nothing on the field that I can say, oh, yeah, well, Cousins did this well. But what I do have is a prolonged documented history of Mike Zimmer's leadership, and he typically doesn't put out a tanking product or one that's going to go 0 and 7. So until my eyes show me different, and that's probably going to be this week's game, um, I can't emphatically say that this season is toast. I can't say it either. Why do fans like why do fans cancel a season so fast? I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's young folks or if it's the Madden football culture wherever you just press the reset, like literally press press the reset button. But oh, okay. so there I don't know how much you follow follow college football, but Trevor Lawrence is 
um, going to be the number one overall pick in the draft, and the that segment of Viking fans has an overwhelming flirtation with him, and, and they're thinking that he would just come sit under Cousins, or he would play, and we'd have a $35 million quarterback on the bench. I don't know how they think that it would work with the, with the numbers, but it's basically this uh, fantasy that we would somehow end up with the best quarterback in the draft who's supposed to be a generational player. Yeah, that's wishful thinking, but I'm not sure the Vikings are really going to be that bad this season. It's just a it's a rough start, but I, I believe that they'll pick it up. Okay. Before we switch to the Titans or uh, preview that, there's a couple things that I have to mention about the Vikings. So Kirk Cousins this game was terrible. Um, he normally is not like that, but as it stands right now between these two games, he has the worst passer rating in the NFL of any of the quarterbacks that have started both games. I believe it's 61.9, and that is um, unholy low for him and for anybody, especially a nine-year veteran. So he has struggled, um, whether that's all on him or on the offensive line to an extent. He has not performed well. So I want to make sure that folks know that we're not uh, absolving um, Cousins from any fault. He does need to play a whole lot better. And, I mean, basically nothing has been good about this start to the season. Um, The Colts ran the football with a rookie running back all over us, and that set up the pass. They kept finding a reserve tight end named Mo Alley-Cox, and he was uh, just getting chunks of yardage from Phillip Rivers. So it's just been not a very good mix. In fact, these 71 points that have been allowed in the two weeks are the second most in Vikings history through two weeks of a season. In 2002, right before you got there, Bryant, uh, the Vikings allowed 72 points in the first two weeks. So that one... Edges us out. Edges us out. Slightly. I was supposed to be there too, but I was still holding out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's it's either really convenient that in these nasty moments you're not there, or right. it's or it's because you're not there that the team is struggling. So, oh, right on. All right. So let's. Uh, we have. Uh, that's about the halfway point of the show. So we're going to transition over to the Titans. A um, couple things about them. The last time that we played them was 2016 in the opening game of the season. Uh, Sean Hill was the quarterback for one game, and he managed the game. Uh, it was a slow start for the Vikings in that game. I believe they were down by 12 points at halftime. And then and then they did the Jekyll and Hyde thing where they did show up in the second half and the defense ran wild. So that was the most recent game. Uh, let's see. Against Tannehill, um, the Vikings had their way with him in U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, I believe they beat them 41-17, to and that was in 2018. That was uh, the year that Dalvin Cook finished off the game with uh, probably the best run of his career in terms of uh, how it looked on the eyes. And then there was a weird game in 2014 where the Vikings lost on a walk-off blocked punt. Uh, That was down in Miami, and that was a a crazy affair. So on the Titans, and I'll get to uh, Tannehill and some of your uh, ties to him in just a second. Um, The Vikings are 1-1 against him, and the Titans as a whole are 2-0 right now, so they're heading in an opposite direction than the Vikings. Um, But two of their wins have been squeakers against teams that don't appear to be that good. Uh, You touched on it last week at the beginning of the show. uh, The kicker, Gostowski, (laughs) missed three field goals against the Broncos, and they, they, they tried to lose that game, but they ended up winning it. And then last week, they won by three over the Jaguars, who... We talked about seem to be tanking, but I guess I don't really know for sure if maybe the players are like, no, hell no, we're not doing that. So uh, you played with Ryan Tannehill. Um, what are your thoughts on him and his transition to Tennessee? I think he has like reinvented himself at Tennessee and gotten a little more comfortable. I believe when he was with the Dolphins, he was more trained to do what it is they want him to do and not use his athletic ability and things a lot of times. I feel like it was a lot of thinking of I should do this, but I know they want me to do that. So he kind of like always kind of was never used, able to use his ability. Like, come on, the boy was a wide, he was a wide receiver first, you know what I mean? And was barely ever running the ball when he could run. Like, but now I feel like he has a little more free range to kind of be the quarterback to who he is. And he's been able to display that. So when he got there, he's been able to kind of reinvent himself. And uh, now you don't think about him as, you know, I don't even think about him as a Dolphin quarterback anymore. I'm looking at him more of like Tennessee and he's able to, 
get there that one year and take the team so far. Yeah, yeah, I made a connection on the show, I believe it was last week, maybe the week before, that, yeah, he was labeled as a mediocre guy with the Dolphins because for the past decade, at least, they are at best have been a mediocre franchise in terms of wins and losses. But once he broke out, so to speak, and got his chance with Mike Vrabel and the Titans, he's made the best of it, and he's starting to, if not already, shed that label that he's just a 500 quarterback. Um, so mm-hmm. it goes to show you what a winning culture can do, and that's the optimism that we have here with Kirk Cousins. Um, and I thought I thought we mostly had that optimism, but after two games, we're back to the drawing board, at least for the fans' perspective. So um, do you have any Tannehill stories that'll make us laugh? No, really. I feel like he was really um, like trying to gather knowledge. I was still with him after uh, like our team meeting, you know, the night before a game. Sure. And I would just kind of talk. It was like low key. I was giving him his speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we would talk about certain topics. Then I, the next thing in the locker room, I would hear like, you know, he was trying to like talk to the guys, motivate people, and be like a lot of things that I said to him at the table. Yeah. Well, basically, he would like kind of reiterate in his speech. I'm like, well, I just told him that your last night. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we just sat, we talked a lot too. I guess you know, I was a veteran. I was a 12 year veteran at the time, and he was young. So um, and then I just came from you know winning the Super Bowl the year before. So he was like, picked my brain about things a lot, and we would sit and talk. But um, now he's a good quarterback. And what's funny is I heard you mention Sean Hill. Sean Hill was my teammate in Minnesota as well. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, he was. I can't remember. Where, you know, he was the backup there for a few. Okay, I believe. Yeah, yep, <coughs> yep. And then uh, when Bridgewater was hurt unexpectedly in August of 2016, we had to make the trade for Sam Bradford. And he wasn't fully up to speed, or at least they didn't want to put him on the field for week one. So, Sean Hill, yeah, he came out and navigated us to a victory in that Titans game. Um, you have, I did my homework, and you have played the Titans once. Uh, in 2004, you guys, the Vikings, beat uh, them in the Metrodome. Moel um, Moore had a big day. I think he had about 120 rushing yards. And then in week two, um, with the Ravens in 2011, you guys lost at Tennessee. Do you have any Titans memories? I really don't. That's one team I really don't remember. Yeah. Playing too yeah, much you, or even going there. Like no, that. I mean you you only played them twice. So I think we'll probably get into some of your uh juicy stories when we when we hit the Bears or the Lions, but I thought an off right. chance the, another player that you might have crossed paths with was Roger Saffold. He's on the offensive line for the Titans. He was he was playing when you were playing. I I didn't know if you had a connection to him at all. He's a guard. No, he's nope. pretty must be pretty up there in age by now, right? <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I, I want to say you guys would have played at the same time um, for a couple years. Um, so I, I thought there was an off chance that maybe maybe you knew him or whatnot. But uh, on Moeldy Moore, that was one of the guys you said that we can probably bring on as a guest yeah, at some point, right? Ball, yeah. Okay. And for you listeners out there, in case I forget, um, I – either next week or the week after that, I think we're going to start like a 10 minute fan segment where um, a random fan comes on and we ask him a couple questions about his take on the season. So we can get a little bit more perspective than just Bryant and I. Um, So I have that in the works. And then I think we're at a point in terms of production where we'll start bringing Bryant's buddies and former Vikings on in probably three weeks or so. We'll get them scheduled. So uh, be be ready for that. But um, you got a former Vikings. Mm-hmm. Today's actually um, Chester Taylor's birthday. Oh, it is. And His birthday, my birthday's tomorrow. His birthday's the day before mine. Oh, okay, right on. I don't think uh, I don't think I've told this story on air. And if I have, you'll have to forgive me in in your cars wherever you're listening to this. So um, I said I've been a Viking fan for a very long time. When in 2007. Um, when we were, you know, the draft was upon us. And I think I wanted to try the quarterback thing because we were at a hiatus there where uh, Dante had been hurt two years prior and we were at this crossroads. And when they drafted Adrian Peterson, I was pissed uh, because we had Chester Taylor. And from my eye test as a 22-year-old, he did a fine job. And if he just got the carries, I was like, I don't know why we'd spend more draft capital on a running back when we've got Chester Taylor. So that just goes to show that some of the stuff that I say is wildly off base because Adrian, you know, 
transcended what you want from a draft pick, and I was wickedly wrong on that. So, I mean, you you probably remember the the day he was drafted. I do, and I just remember just seeing uh, him start to transition, and I was like, oh, it looked like he might take Chester's spot. I remember, like, those moments of yeah. seeing him, and I'm like, Chester was penciled in as the starter, but you could see things at practice, and you could just start seeing things just developing, and it was like, now he's starting to get more reps. Now I feel like he's about to take over, and it, it happened. Yeah, there were, inevitably, there were those you guys out there who knew before any of us, you know, just from watching him at Oklahoma, that he was going to be special. But at the time, I wasn't a huge college football fanatic. And uh, I remember watching the tape thinking, oh, well, yeah, yeah, he's a powerful runner. So I thought we would have this tandem system of Taylor and Peterson, which we kind of did. But in that first game um, of the 2007 season, we played the Falcons, I believe, in the Metrodome, I think, or might, it could have been in Atlanta. Uh, but Adrian got a pass, like a screen pass, and took it, I want to say, 70 or 80 yards. And I was like, holy crap. And that's, I, believe me, I got on board very quick with Adrian Peterson. But mm-hmm. I always look back and give it myself because I thought, we have Chester Taylor, who's badass. So why are we going mm-hmm. to draft another running back? Um, anyhow, uh, back on the the Titans. This is a team from top to bottom that really doesn't have any weaknesses on the roster. And that is not a sight for sore eyes. Um as we alluded to a couple times, uh, Steven Goskowski had some kicking ailments, but I believe those are probably remedied. In fact, he hit the game winner this week, uh, this past weekend, too, against the Jaguars, so he might have got that out of the system. Uh, A.J. Brown is a fine young second-year player now. Uh, he was banged up. He didn't even play last week, um, so... Arguably, wide receiver is an iffy spot, although it's not one that you can exploit because it's really not a bad spot. But their roster offensive line is pretty good. Um, we talked about Tannehill. They have a top, what, three, top four running back in the league in Derrick Henry. And then they just added Davian Clowney on the, on the line there. Keith Byard, one of their safeties. So they pretty much are stacked in terms of talent, and that's probably why they went to the AFC Championship last year. So if we beat this team, it really doesn't matter by how much. Um, some folks probably want to see a, you know, Vikings come out, look good, a commanding win, but any type of win against this team will, you know, be appreciated because they're a damn good team. It will be, but you, even though you said on paper that they, they don't have any weaknesses, why are they still just squeaking past people? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I, I, I wanted to lead him with that, um, but I also thought I should give him some credit because do you know Mike Vrabel at all? Did you ever cross paths with him? No, no, he was with the Patriots forever, a linebacker. Yeah, I remember. Yep, and he took over in 2018. So another funny story about that, uh, where I got it wrong, or I didn't really care, but. Uh, the Titans won a playoff game in 2017, and that was their first one in about 14 years. And Mike Malarkey was the coach, and they won the playoff game, and they fired him. Uh, so they they beat the Chiefs, I believe, and a week later, after they lost to whoever it was they lost to, they fired the coach after he had just got into a playoff victory. And I was like, well, that's strange. And then they went and hired Vrabel, and so far it is a decision that has been vindicated. Mm. Okay. So yeah, they beat two mediocre teams, and right now there's no other way to classify us as mediocre at best, based on what we've seen on the field. Um, one thing I am concerned about, just as every football enthusiast is, is that we've had problems stopping the rush um, because we don't have our nose tackle. Well, first of all, we got rid of Linval Joseph, who's with the Chargers and who's doing pretty well out there. And then uh, the man that we signed, Michael Pierce from the Ravens, opted out because of the coronavirus concerns. So we have Shamar Steven, who I don't think by definition is a nose tackle, but he's playing it. And so far, uh, teams have been able to run on us. So Derrick Henry coming to town isn't necessarily, you know, the type of forecast that that we want, but Right, because he's the downhill runner and he's yep. pretty big too. Yeah, if if there was going to be a comparable dude to Adrian in the NFL, I would probably right now 
I would probably say it is Henry, although I personally don't think he has the speed that Adrian did. Now, I'm sure there's Titan fans that will tell me otherwise, but from what I've seen, he isn't quite as explosive as Adrian, but he was the rushing king last year, and if the Vikings... Uh, defensive interior defensive line is still on the fritz, then <laughs> Derrick Henry is probably the worst guy to have coming to town. Yeah, I can agree with that. Because um, this is going to be a more of a run, you know, smash mouth game. So they just have to be physical up front. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, what was the other thing that I had on my mind? Oh, so on the from the offense perspective, um, how can they, besides the obvious, you know, just convert and get first downs, they have a problem staying on the field um, after the first drive. And we haven't seen a lot of Dalvin Cook screens like we usually do. I don't know if Kubiak is standoffish to those or what the deal is, but what can the Vikings do from your perspective or your insight? How can they stay on the field? Um, one, eliminate penalties so you're not putting yourself in worse position. But two, always try to at least get three yards each each down. You know what I mean? Sure. And that puts you in a, you know, third and four, something like something that's more doable, more reasonable. But uh, that's the most they can do, I mean, at this point. What about so far and definitely in the Colts game, Kirk Cousins has had tunnel vision for Adam Thielen. Um, I think it's pretty apparent that, he is the one guy on this receiving core that he has complete faith in. And so Cousins, especially in the Colts game, has been forcing the ball to him. And it resulted in a couple interceptions. Uh, one of them was a, a throwaway because it was a Hail Mary at the end of the half. But Cousins did have three interceptions. And he, he had the worst game of his career statistically. I've seen some prominent uh, Vikings writers say that he had his worst game as a Viking. And if you pull the numbers, Cousins, it was the worst game of his professional career. So uh, there isn't any spinning that. But uh, any experience maybe with Moss or something, um, when a quarterback gets tunnel vision where he's targeting one guy, um, how can he snap out of that? Is it you know just time he has to He has to snap him? out of it because people read that. Like you can see that. Like he's going to force it to him even if, you know, he's not able to try to, you know, force him, force him the ball and that's, Really taking like that's putting a lot of pressure on that receiver too. But is you have to check down for your running backs or your tight ends, just different people because there's other people that's running routes that may be able to. You can't always just eye one person because if you're eyeing that one person the whole time, everybody knows where the ball is going and they're just going to attack him. Yeah, and I think that is a a severe problem, as you said. Um, we have BC Johnson, who's on the depth chart as the second wide receiver, and then the rookie Justin Jeff Jefferson um, hasn't really gotten a whole lot of looks, and that's simply because Thielen has been the security blanket, and it's probably one of those things that if if it was working and we were winning, then we'd be like, well, hell yeah, but it's not. And and then when Cousins did try to get his tight end involved, uh, Irv Smith had one dislodged or dropped, depending on your perspective. So he he wasn't getting help in those scenarios, but. Yeah, this Adam Thielen thing, um, this is one of the blowback of you know getting rid of Diggs is that folks are going to key on Thielen, and we knew that, but we also thought that a good quarterback like Cousins would be able to distribute it to his other pass catchers. So that's where I'm a little concerned that how does a quarterback quickly um, gain or you know establish uh, a connection or Trust. a confidence? Trust. Trust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because uh, that's what it's about, is uh, trusting and knowing that they'll, you know, catch the ball. And he has that with Thielen already. He had that with Diggs, but Diggs is no longer here. So now we need somebody else to step up so he can build that relationship with them. And whether it's a tight end or, or, or a receiver, somebody has to step in and kind of fill that void. I mean, this is the whole thing of, you know, you let Diggs go because they clearly must have trusted somebody coming in and fill that void. But right now we see it's clearly empty and everything's being forced. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is a humongous problem. So we'll have to see if if Kubiak and Cousins uh, jointly address that. Um, one more question before we hop into our predictions um, for the Titans game. Um, you have been part of, let's see, Tice, Childress, uh, Leslie. So you've been, by my count, one or two coach termination so if we have to look at the hypothetical of an 0 and 7 start or 1 and 10 or something ghastly like that 
Um, how do are there certain things in the locker room or amongst you guys that you start to notice that a coach is on his way out? Um, like a lot of things, they feel like he would lose control of the team. I think at one point, and then can you can you, you repeat that? Hey, tickets hey, from the Super Bowl. Hey, sorry about that. Can you repeat that? Oh, I think sorry. you cut out. Yeah, I feel like um, with Coach Tyson there, it was a little different. I feel like they were, thought he might have been losing a little bit of control of the team. And then you had a player say how he was selling his tickets, and that changed the whole Super Bowl ticket thing ever since then. Yeah. So that was different for him. Coach Childress, I feel like when when the ownership or whoever feels like the coach is losing control or the players aren't really buying in, so whatever the coach is saying, that's when they start to question the leader. Okay. As a fan, is are there are there things that we could look for? Um, like, is there is there body language? Or I, I do not want Mike Zimmer to be fired. I like most reasonable folks want them to win this weekend and go on a stretch of several wins. Um, but if we have to force the inevitable, whether it's this year, or end of the year, um, is there things that fans can look for? Rather than losses, because that's obvious, that would indicate uh, this guy might, this coach might be on his way out. I think it's too soon. To, like, like I say, it's, it's week two, um, one of <laughs> yeah. the third week. Um, you could look into, you start looking at those things like after a bye week. You okay. know what I mean? Sure. And say, okay, see where they're at the bye week, see how they come out of the bye week, and then you could start looking at those things then. But right now, I feel like it's too early. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to move on to my keys to the game. It's probably going to sound extremely familiar, and then I'll hand it off to you, Bryant, for anything that you want to add. Um, I'm not going to kick the the dead horse of time of possession because that's obvious, but I firmly believe that Dalvin Cook needs to be a centerpiece of this game. Um, as a longtime fan and a writer about football, um, you have this Corvette in your garage, and it seems like they're only using it at the very beginning of the game, and you know that's about it. So that's alarming to me that they would have a a player that is that dynamic, and then when things get rough, they abandon his touches. So I'm going to say that Dalvin has to be involved in the game, and you know just get some of that explosiveness. Um, we saw a little bit of pressure from Yannick Ngankwe. He had a forced fumble. It was still recovered by the Colts. Um, but we did see a little bit of pressure, and I think that's one of the biggest differences um, from this year to last year because we didn't have great cornerback play last year, but we had mayhem up front with uh, Everson Griffin, Daniil Hunter, Afadi Adembo. So they were you know, pressuring these quarterbacks to make poor decisions, and that takes the onus to an extent off of the uh, cornerbacks. So um, the Vikings need to generate pressure, and a lot of this is just fundamental stuff that the Vikings have to remedy. Um, they're also going to have to find an identity, so to speak, um, on defense without Anthony Barr because he's the longest tenured defensive player there. And it almost felt like a footnote that he's out for the year because of all of the sorrow that we've been feeling over the two-game losing streak. So they signed a, or they either signed or on the cusp of signing uh, Todd Davis from the Denver Broncos. He is mysteriously a free agent, and the dude had like 130-something tackles last year. So He's an experienced uh, linebacker. Um, other than that, I can't pound home the time of possession thing enough. And then turnovers uh, last week. Obviously, we don't want a third safety in you know three consecutive games. Uh, but turnovers, those got to be minimized. We had three last week. Uh, the third one or second one, <clears throat> excuse me, was on a Hail Mary. That was just kind of a throwaway. So I covered a lot there, Bryant. Do you have anything to add to the keys? I just want to say um, one of the key things for offense is um... – to kind of score and, and not get behind because mm-hmm. when you get behind, that's when you have to resort to trying to pass the ball a lot to play catch up. Yeah. So therefore, if you're doing that, um, Dalvin Cook isn't going to get the ball as many times because we're trying to play catch up a lot. So you want to score, you want to run. Defense has to really stop the run because they're going to run that ball a lot. They're going to run downhill at them and they don't mind playing smash mouth. So they have to really stop the run and focus on that. Um, and when you have a team that likes to run the ball a lot, that's when they're going to have a lot of time of possession, mm-hmm. you know, as long as they're executing. And it, it'll turn into the whole game of them outnumbering us in the amount of time possession than we have. You know what I mean? So that means they have had more plays that they've executed correctly. They got more first downs to um, potentially get a touchdown or a field goal. So we have to get the defense off the field. 
Okay. Um, with you, one other point I want to make, and I'll jump into my prediction after that is, I told this to my wife last year <clears throat> when the Titans made their run to the AFC Championship. And watch for this, um, you listeners out there. These Titans, as they are constructed and as they are led by Mike Vrabel, a defensive-minded coach, these are this is this type of team. The way it's built is exactly what the Vikings want to be. So you've got Derrick Henry, um, you know, grounding up the yards. That's that would be our Dalvin Cook. Um, they have a a stout defense from top to bottom. Um, and then if you mirror Cousins and Tannehill, you have both players that started off on teams that weren't very good, but you see a lot of good things from them, and you hope that if they're with a winning culture, they can um, you know, exploit or utilize those talents. So you know, Cousins is Tannehill there, and then the t- Titans have one primary wide receiver in A.J. Brown, and then decent dudes to compliment him, just as we have with Thielen. So... The style of football and the roster of football the Titans have is what the Vikings strive to be at their their pinnacle, especially the way the Titans were able to race to the AFC Championship last year. So, all right, I'm going to do it, and I'll probably take heat for it. This is, I am going to pick the Vikings to win um, because I, I do believe that this team has the talent to turn it around, and I've seen Mike Zimmer come out of ruts before. Um, but this will be the last week that I picked them to win. Um, if they come out and look lifeless again, I'm not done as a fan, but I'm not going to predict them to go on the road to Houston to win. So I'm going to say U.S. Bank Stadium, Vikings over Titans, 24-17. to 17. What do you got? That was the same thing I was going to say. No way. Really? <laughs> well, now it's got to happen. Okay. Well, tell me, tell me why in, what, 30 seconds or so, Tell me why, and you don't have to hurry through it. I'm going to say why, because I feel like the defense will probably finally step up, and I hope that the offense really gets a rhythm going and is able to put up some points. 24, I feel like, isn't a lot of points, but it's a decent amount of points. And um, 17, I feel like they can finally hold somebody, you know, at home, you know, playing back at home again. So it's a little more comfort there. But I feel like the defense has to come out and kind of execute. And I feel like they've been working on a lot of things that these past two weeks, they haven't been doing right to kind of execute here at home in front of, you know, family or whoever's in the stadium. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I'll say it one more time to your point on the defense finally showing up. In theory, um, Mike Zimmer, his defensive background, especially the secondary, that's how he started with the Cowboys. There shouldn't be a better coach on earth besides Bill Belichick to fix an ailing defense because this is his specialty. If he can't do it, then <clears throat> that is a, a big you know what if, and it's not really forgivable. But this team should be in good hands, and if you're looking to fix a defense, Mike Zimmer should be the man to do it. Any final thoughts, Bryant? Nope, just looking forward to this game this week. Hopefully they finally come out with a win. Yeah, because if not, we're gonna have a really sad show next week. It's we're gonna have to be. Yeah, it's right. It's like yeah, it would be zero and three, and I'm sure we'll find ways to surmise how we could beat the Houston. But then when you get that deep into it, you start to wonder, God, can we dig ourselves out? So we'll cross that bridge if we get there. One other thing I'm gonna mention before we head out is we are probably going to collaborate with the Texans podcast outfit for believe next week. So there's a good opportunity you'll be hearing two podcasts. So. That is all we got for today. Um, we hope that we're talking to you in one week with a one and two Vikings team, and we some good energy. <laughs> hell, hell yeah! All <laughs> right, we are out and skull Vikings. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.